are now tuned into the Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to tell their stories. This is episode 80 of the Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to share their stories, and it's also the season three finale. This is the end of season three. We have had 79 amazing episodes so far. And for episode 80, I wanted to bring in somebody who essentially embodies the attitude of this podcast, that frontline view of the sales community connected to the innovative things that you need to be doing in order to really make a difference and connect with your prospects. A modern sales professional, if there ever was one, Dale Dupree is here for episode 80 and I'm really so thankful that he decided to drop by. And as you would expect, Dale delivers just a fantastic interview here. If you don't have time to listen to the whole thing, I'm gonna serve up one last snack break sales tip for season three from Dale Dupree. Check it out. Yeah, I'm gonna give one that, that kind of applies to the times, but also it's something that we should always be doing that we suck at, which is giving people the experiences that they deserve. You know, a, a quick phone call, you know, where you don't know who's on the other end and you're just hearing a bunch of, you know, words coming out of their mouth off a script. And, you know, those are the types of things that turn people off. Or maybe they're in a weak moment and they say, yeah, I need these things. But if you give people an experience, even if they tell you they don't want to talk right now, they're going to get off the phone and they're going to think much differently of you. Mm. You know, the experiential side of sales is is neglected. It's long gone at this point. It is It is of you know, the old guard at that Dale Carnegie, you know, those, those gentlemen that, that started the whole concept of how to be a servant leader from the perspective of sales even, but we can bring it back and we can do it with things like my crumpled letter campaign campaign, which is just crumpledletter.com If people want to download the free version of it and it, you know, giving that to somebody gives them an experience and it tells it like it is, you don't like salespeople. So I crumpled this up so that you can throw it away easier. And then there's, you know, there's a whole cadence to that too, that we sell on top of it, which, you know, maybe they didn't write back from that first one because they don't believe that you are who you are. You know, you can hit mm. them with another and hit them with another and hit them. It's, it is something, it's a lost art. We need to get back to the art of sales and get away from the science. A fantastic actionable sales tip from Dale Dupree. And look, before we kick this episode off, I, I just want to thank every single person who listens to each episode every week if it wasn't for you all i would not be doing this i started this as something to do on my lunch break and that's the reason that i called it the lunch break podcast and over the last two or so years it's turned into a fantastic community of people who are obviously eager to get better eager to level up as sales professionals and all of these episodes are just so chock full of value and I have to thank each one of my guests for that. I just show up, I turn on the Zoom, I ask a couple of questions and they do the rest every time. And you're gonna see that happen again with Dale Dupree. So without any further ado, thank you to everybody who's listened to every one episode or every episode uh, across these three seasons and and thank you to every single one of my guests that's been on the show 
up until this point. So with that, let's go. Episode 80, Season 3 finale with Dale Dupree, the leader of the Sales Rebellion. Enjoy. Cue the monumental, dramatic music right now, folks, because it's episode 80 of the Lunch Break Podcast, monumental episode for our little group here. But it's also uh, to go with a monumental number, like 80 at the end of season three, I I, I had to go find a monumental guest out in the sales community. And I got it. Swish, three-pointer, Dale Debris, leader of the Sales Rebellion. He's here, folks. He's here on the Lunch What's Break that? Podcast. Yeah, man. Dale, thanks so much for uh, taking some time to stop by, man. Yeah, man. It is my absolute honor to be here, bro. Thanks for inviting me. Well, look, I think, you know, you're, you're a man of many monikers, you are a fantastic storyteller, so I am going to shut up and I'm going to ask you the first question that I ask everybody that comes on the podcast. Dale, how did you get started in sales? Yeah, my story starts back in 1984 when my father founded his copier firm and I was born in 1985. You could tone mm-hmm. running through my blood <laughs> and the, the forecast of becoming a salesman uh, literally written in stone at that point. <clears throat> and now I will say to the audience as well too, especially people that have heard me before, they're probably like, man, you're consistent with that intro. Why don't you tell your story? But I tell the story the same way every time because it's part of my legacy. It's the most important part of my walk. My father is my hero. My father is the reason that I ever even fell in love with sales to begin with. Uh, but first I had to fall out of love with it hard. Right. And that's what most of us do. And, 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 in our walk when it comes to the things that we are the best at is that at some point we, we sit back and go, why do I do this Yeah, <laughs> to begin with? Right. And, and so for me, there was kind of a couple times when that went down just to, to get a little bit deeper into how I started in sales, which is that, you know, we interned at the office when we were growing up every summer we were out there, there was weeks, you know, when dad would take us, you know, on a Friday, Hey, it's your Friday. And, you know, so we, we lived and breathed small business is what we did more than anything. And, and the yeah. culture of it, which was absolutely amazing. It gave me a very good insight on how other people were running theirs. And and even if they didn't have the same setup as we did from the perspective of family owned and operated, you know, my dad had a lot of diversity in the office too. So I could understand that just the same. And, and so when I was 17, you know, I kind of had a, a choice to make of going to college or coming to work, you know, but if I did either of those things, there was consequences. Um, and then over here sitting on the sidelines was this dream that I had chased from the time I was 13, which was when I picked up, my dad got me my first guitar. Actually, I was, yeah, I was 13, 12 or 13. My dad got me my first acoustic guitar or electric guitar. I'd been playing his acoustic up until that point for a while, but he bought me an electric guitar and I learned that sucker. My first song ever was Everclear, um, Father of Mine. Uh, yes. Was, yeah, it's a great How song. How appropriate. Right? Yeah, right. Isn't that even even better? Except for the fact that like I had a father and and Art well, yeah, Alexa yeah, yeah. Not, didn't. not appropriate that the content matter, you know, but that it would be something like that. The only other one would yeah. have been, um, you know, that Cats in the Cradle song. That would have been the only yeah, other one yeah. that you could yeah. have learned. <laughs> yeah. Which was which was one of my father's favorite songs, and that was one of his favorite artists too. Which is so I grew up on that song, especially whenever it came on that classic rock radio station we were driving. You no know, dad like cranked it up and sang yeah. it. But, 
but so my dad, a lot of people don't know this about my dad. Cause I definitely, I don't know that I've ever actually said this on a podcast. And by the way, I've done 150 plus guest episodes of podcast, right? So you're an exclusive, right? Yes. Here. My dad go. was a rock. He was a rock star, bro. He played guitar and he played in a band and, and he was a musician my whole life. So whenever it was that fun story, like maybe you've seen it in a movie where like dad has his two friends over and one kind of pulls a harmonica out of his pocket and the other one sits down at the piano and then my dad grabs the guitar and they're like, Oh, we're, we're doing this. It's like, it's like Andy Dwyer from the office. Like, ah, it's not a, it's just a, it's just a weird instrument. And he's like, no, 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 no. Right. So yeah. it was a lot of fun to watch how he enjoyed music growing up. And that's what encouraged me to want to be a musician was that I saw fun. But it was the same thing when I looked at him when he was at his office as I saw fun. And so for me, it was at that point, it was 17 years old. It was a chance to spend 52 days, actually 62 days on the road with my band. And we had a truck and a trailer, right? Not even a 15 passenger. It was a four seater. We had a, or a three seater technically with a, you know, the bed in the, in the back. We had to convince the other bands to let us ride with them. It was like, that was really, honestly, my introduction into sales right there. When wow. I convinced bands that I'd already just set up a 50 plus day tour with when they got to our first show that, Hey, can we put our guys in your cars for the next 51 days? Is that cool? <laughs> um, so I, I started to learn the art of negotiation and that, but, <laughs> yeah. but so, so I, I fell out of love, you know, with my father's business around that time and found, you know, my true love of music, um, for that season of my life. And I spent five years touring all over the United States, um, on a major, eventually a major record label. Um, Warner Music Group. And and from there, uh, my dad got ill, is the, how the story goes. Um, and I decided that I didn't really want to live the life of sex, drugs, and rock and roll every night. And it's just not who I am at my, in my core. Some people can, and some people, you know, do it for years and then just, and then realize that they shouldn't have <laughs> as well too. And so <laughs> I heard all the stories and I knew all the different consequences that were going to rain down on me. And I picked a different path for my life. And so 21, 22 years old, 2007, 2008, I came back and I started selling copiers with my father. Um, and if, and it's funny too, right? Cause here on episode 80, um, a monumental episode, it's also the year of COVID-19 for everybody in the year 3035 that's listening <laughs> to this right now, we are all locked in our homes and can't go anywhere, but have to continue to make sales and make money. So in 2007 and 2008, we had the financial collapse. In 2009 and 2010, we had the swine flu epidemic. So those were like my introductions to sales. I not only did yeah. sales suck when I started, but so did the economy and, and a lot of the hoops that I had to jump through. Um, and I'll tell you that when we got out of that and the toward the middle of 2010, we started setting records. In 2011, we blew it out of the water. And then in 2012, my father sold his business. We were acquired by another firm. We got to kind of like keep the name and keep the processes, but work under the guise of this new $8 million firm as opposed to our $1.4 million firm. And, and my life changed in those moments. And it had changed up until then as well too, right? But I went from making $30,000 a year to my first year with that new firm making 150 k and never looking back. I just kept going further and further and further. Um, and, and so for me, it, was, it wasn't just about the money, which is why I also quit that job and, and went to, to help other people and help other companies and eventually start and run the sales rebellion uh, which is, you know, the worst choice anybody could ever make is to start their own business if they're trying to make a ton of money, uh, just so you all know out there. Um, it, it, at some point, you probably will make some money. I'm, uh, I'll, I'll give you that, but not for the first couple of years at least, you know, maybe 10 at that, <laughs> but we'll see. 
So, so there it is, man. My epic introduction to sales and how I got started. Yeah, no, and uh, you know, I love that because <clears throat> it's a it's a consistent theme with a lot of the sales pros that I've had on. They have a passion that's creative, like music. A lot of people that have come on here were and are musicians. At one point, were aspiring to kind of live that life. What's interesting is that you live that life, right? I mean, I, 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 I um, completely think that, that it's a different point of view when you have a dream and then you go do that dream and then you see the reality of that dream and, and, and what that looks like up against your own life against your own set of morals, against kind of, like you said, who you are as a person. And for many people, I think, you know, I guess what I'm trying to get at is you have a very unique perspective because many people have a dream and then something comes up where they don't get to kind of fulfill that and find those things out. And then they're off into, oh, I got to become a salesperson and I fall in love with, with this thing, right? Um, but but they never really get to the point of understanding and and choosing and coming back to the sales profession. It's always kind of like, oh, what if, you know, what if I just would have, you know, so it's interesting to me because um, I've got friends that were involved with the music industry and a lot of them felt like that at one point, like, mm you know, this just isn't going to work for me. And for whatever reason went on and did different things, right? It's not, I think it's an important message. Um, overall, what did that teach you about, um, you know, dreams in general? Like, I mean, to, 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 because not everybody gets to do that. Right. And, and to kind of fulfill a dream and then see "Mm, it ain't all it's cracked up to be. Let me come back and kind of reassess, this next chapter of my life, what was that like for you? I think that's such a unique experience. Yeah. I mean, it was humbling. Yeah. It, it was it mostly humbling because I went, I was actually pretty comfortable when it came to income and my standing in the community from the perspective of, you know, being, I was 17 years old when I started doing it full time and all of a sudden I'm 21 and you know, people are like, well, how long have you been doing this? I'm like four years. And, you know, and they're, and they're like, whoa, you've, you've been, you've been at this a hot minute. And so, you know, other bands that we toured with even were trusting with us. And when we started playing with bigger bands. They treated us a lot differently because of what we had accomplished. Um, you know, and I, I had some crazy, amazing stories. I, I mean, you can just imagine some of them, but the, the people I met, the, the backstage, um, uh, I guess like really more like the green room stories is what people yeah. like to call it that I have they're, they're nuts, you know, and, and they, they truly, they, I identified who I was and they molded who I became. And so the thing about having a dream and, and wanting to fulfill it is, is that most, it's like you said, most people don't even go after it in the first place because they say, well, this is like one in a million. Well, I mean, that's what a musician is. And I remember my dad telling me, dude, just so you know, that be realistic about this that you have to put in a lot of work and you have to, you have to push real hard because this is, you know, the rolling stones are the rolling stones. There is no other rolling stones. You know, you might try to compare a couple people to them, but they don't compare to, to, to any. 
you know, I mean, even the Beatles, they had it going on forever. And then one day they were all just like, oh, we all hate each other. And this thing's you know, over. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of them are dying. And, you know, it, it just got worse and worse. Right. Yeah. So, and so- wings sucked for the record. <laughs> right. I mean, like that's for the record. A example. Right. Like Paul McCartney was in created the Beatles. And then the next thing he did was wings. Yeah. The worst thing ever. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent agreed. A hundred percent agreed. Anybody listening, I'll fight you if you feel differently. So yeah, but no, that's anyway, not the, to say that I won't dance to it if it comes on. Uh, of course. Or yeah, know all the you know, words. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt, because you're a child of the generation of <laughs> yeah, yeah. Paul McCartney. You know. but, <laughs> but the, the, the big picture I think is, is that you know, really like it comes down, you talked about experiences, you know, mm-hmm. people don't get to have the experiences so they don't think that it can ever happen. Well, the thing is, is that we all have aptitude. We all have this natural ability to do something that we're good at or to get ourselves to a place of understanding the, our ability to do something, which is, is also aptitude being built. Uh, so there's, cause there's a couple of different definitions behind the word itself, but I, cause I think that's what truly makes a good salesperson great is that they tap into that aptitude that they have. And, and aptitude a lot of times too comes with the idea and the concept of that you're, you're constantly learning. Even though you're good at something, you're constantly learning it so that you can be better at it and that you can also transfer those experiences and those emotions and all the things that you learn to someone else as well. And so, you know, for me, that's what I was doing is that I was like sinking it all in, you know, from the, the couple of times that I had to save somebody from an overdose to the couple of times that I had to be the legal guardian of a 17 year old kid that was a prodigy drummer that we wanted and needed, you know, and, and, and the experiences that I had with that and, you know, almost flipping our van on black ice and watching other bands, you know, cut crumble in the midst of all their success. And, you know, there was, there was so much going on and, and a lot of it was very personal. And it was what I learned in those, those days, just as a side note about business is that it's personal. I, I, I made that part of my mantra my father already had growing up, but it became extremely relevant to me in those times. But, you know, I think the big picture is, is that a lot of people can't imagine themselves doing the things that they're dreaming of to begin with. And a lot of people end up chasing their dream and then not coming to the conclusion that it's not the right thing for them. You know, they end up being 40 years old and still pretending as if somehow they are a 21 year old rock star. I don't make any, you know, any kind of claim to be anything that I am now as a good musician, right? Now I do love to still play music and, and shout out to the guys that have, stuck around with me on that. We actually have our final album coming out, which is like six years in the making basically. But, you know, maybe after this podcast is done, somebody will hear it and be and the band and be like, all right, it's time for us to finish that. But <laughs> yeah, but you know, because music is a, is a hobby more than anything because it's a passion, it's an art. And so it's something that you can't, you always have to be looking at it from that perspective. But when I looked at sales, I said, listen, I can put on a suit and tie and I can become rigid. I can become disconnected. I can make a, a heck of a lot of money being a douchebag, just like all these other salespeople that I'm, I'm looking at and I'm observing around me or that I've dealt with at some point, or I can be humble, I can be vulnerable, I can be real, I can be a human, and, and I can be better than, than what's come before me. And, and not because I deserve it or, be, or because somehow um, you know, I'm going to make it better for everybody else, but there has to be an example that leads. And, and secondly, because the people that we interact with deserve it more than anything else. And, and I've been telling my students a lot lately too, dude, is that they deserve it just as much as their prospects deserve it. So do they, they deserve to be able to sit back and say, I'm better than this. 
because that that's that Kobe Bryant mentality, right? Of like being the best. And I, I'll never forget when I read his book and, and I was in this place myself of just, I'm not necessarily struggling with being the best, but trying to kind of figure out what do I want to be? And I woke up after reading that book one day and said like, well, I want to be the best copier salesman because that's where I am right now. That's where, that's where I have been put at this point in, in my walk. And so that's it. I'm going to be the best copier salesman. So when it comes back to the original question of like, how do you dream up something that you end up living is that you believe in it is that you believe in yourself, that you believe in what you're doing and that you, you sit back and stop saying, I can't, you know, because can't never did is, mm. is a good old saying that some farmer came up with one day and passed down to our fathers. Right. So I love that, man. And, and, you know, you, you make it such an important point too, because I think not only when you have a dream, does it require you literally having that vision and, and, and being able to see yourself doing it and believing in it, but it also, you can also just start that right now, wherever you are. I think that's another thing that a lot of sales professionals and I'd say people, humans in general struggle with is, yeah, but I'm not there yet. I'm not, I'm not where I need to be in order to be that person. You know, I know I want to be the best X, Y, Z, but I'm just doing this. I'm just in this job. I'm in this entry level sales role and I want to be a closer. Right. You know, and it's always kind of that mentality of like, well, I'll get, and then what's interesting, and this has happened to me, so this is why I know it's real. You start using that as an excuse to not give 100% in your current role. It's how convenient right? It's like, oh, well, this is a crappy job anyway. And this isn't what I'm destined to do anyway. So why would I give 100% to something that I know I'm not going to, you know, like or love or anything like that? So I think it's just a really important point, man. I mean, you could start literally right now, be the best blank, blank, blank. And then you're on the path where, you know, however that matures, you're at least ensured that you're going to be the best at whatever you're doing. And that's a pretty damn good feeling. I love that. I love that, man. Um, So I'm aware of the time here. I think one of the things that anybody that knows you loves about you is that, that, that personal branding that you've built that that's so deeply ingrained in like how you operate as a person. Like you didn't create, this mentality and have this mentality and and think like, I'm going to have a personal brand. Like this is just who I am. This is how I operate yeah. uh, in, in what you're doing now with the sales rebellion. How, like, how are you guiding people towards that? Right. Cause it seems like kind of like an internal journey that you have to go on in order to kind of step into the, the, that thing like you did. Um, what are, what are some tips you might have for people that are, you know, like they're ready to do it and they, and they know, but they just can't really place like, how do I take that next step? You know, you know, it, it works similar for those people, just as it does for the people that don't are not ready and they don't know where to start, which is that we, we start them at the beginning, which we call roots, your rebel roots. And, and we, so we take people through this journey of understanding like what the beginning of a sales career is, what are our goals and aspirations? What are our objectives? What is it that we find pleasure in? What is it that our buyer finds pleasure in? What is it that our community finds pleasure in? How do we start to expand the thought process of our existence altogether and elevate and change entirely the trajectory of our outcomes? So 
both sides of the fence have to start in the same place no matter what, as I see it. The people that are already there and ready to go, I mean, they break through. Jeremiah Griffin, um, he's with a company called Catapult with a K. I know, I know, I know what you're thinking, everybody. But yes, it's Catapult with a K. Um, great, great organization, though. Um, he's an awesome sales rep. When I started coaching with him, it was that, like, let's take it to that next level. He already had it. He, he had run a business at one point. He already had it deep down inside of him. You know, the guy became the finance Viking overnight. Um, the financing Viking, I should say. It's financingviking.com if anybody wants to check it out. And, and, and yes, I mean, there are still things that he is sharpening and, and making better from the visual perspective, aesthetics, you know, video, but he's doing it is the bottom line, right? He's taking the leap and quickly too, yeah. right? And his outreach methods, you know, that we've helped him develop, but they have been nuanced as his, right? Because we're not saying like, hey, do these things that are uncomfortable because we said so. We say, we learn about you first and we say, cool, we know exactly how to make this something that will be more attractive to you now. And we, and we entice you in that way. So we use your aptitude, right? Like yeah. we were just talking about it. We, we take it to that next level. So for most people though, it starts with this realization of self. I think that the biggest problem with the world is, is situal, situational awareness. And you guys all know it. You're in the aisle at the, at the grocery store and there's a person standing right in front of the one thing that you need right now. And they're standing and they're on their phone texting and they're looking and back to their phone and, uh, and kind of checking prices. And you're just in your mind thinking, get out of my way. I hate you right now. Right. And there's a guy looking at you and he's rolling his eyes thinking like, oh, I know exactly what you're going through. And, and then you're on the road and, and you drive you know, in the left-hand lane all the time because you go 90 miles an hour and somebody's in front of you. And you got to pass them on the right. You're flicking them off on the way by. You know, I tell people, I say, will you be the person that does that? Or will you be the person that pulls up to the side of them on the right and says, hey, I just wanted to tell you, you're supposed to drive in the middle lane um, because people go fast in the left. But I just also wanted you to know I love you and I hope you're having a good day. And then pass them. Yeah. Right? Are you are you going to be the person that's patient in in that shopping center in that in that moment and maybe even put your hand on their shoulder and say, "I am so sorry to interrupt you, but would you mind if I grab this real quick?" Are you going to be bold? Are you going to be brave? Are you going to be empathetic? Are you going to be vulnerable? And are you going to be compassionate? And once we start to pull those things out of people and we find out who they are and we find out things that make them tick, maybe they're more of an angry person and they like it, <laughs> you know, like and, and not to say that we don't we tell them that that's wrong by any means we never tell anybody they're wrong but we help them to slowly see that there's a better way to do it right yeah. we slowly help people see that side of the coin and once they do their personal brand shines like brighter than anything you've ever seen from creating content to deciding that they want to be called something different than just their name right like yeah. copier warrior and and it evolves bro over time it, it takes time right but it evolves like think about how the copier warrior is non-existent now right the sales rebellion reigns supreme. But if you, if you learn from me, you know, what we've done from it with him. And when you buy our book, how to start a sales rebellion coming out this summer, you'll see that we kill the copier warrior. We lay him to rest and we cre oh, we've wow. created a massive world around him. Even, you know, like yeah. we have done, we have gone all in and that's so people have to commit to that point, but it's taken me, it's been 13 years, dude, that I've been selling B2B in the copier space and only been one year that I've been doing this, you know, so it's, it is a long game play that people need to be very committed to. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a long game and it also requires really from what you just kind of outlined some real like self-reflection and, and, and <laughs> getting in touch with, with some things that, 
are definitely not talked about in any sort of normal onboarding interview or any sort of, uh, you know, normal conversation about sales straight up. I love that, man. Um, so as we wrap up here, uh, what is a quick sales tip that the folks listening to the podcast right now can use when they get done listening to the show? Yeah, I'm going to give one that, that kind of applies to the times, but also it's something that we should always be doing that we suck at, which is giving people the experiences that they deserve. You know, a, a quick phone call, you know, where you don't know who's on the other end and you're just hearing a bunch of, you know, words coming out of their mouth off a script. And, you know, those are the types of things that turn people off. Or maybe they're in a weak moment and they say, yeah, I need these things. But if you give people an experience, even if they tell you they don't want to talk right now, they're going to get off the phone and they're going to think much differently of you. You know, the experiential side of sales is, is neglected. It's long gone at this point. It is, it is of, you know, the old guard at that Dale Carnegie, you know, those, those gentlemen that, that started the whole concept of how to be a servant leader from the perspective of sales even, but we can bring it back and we can do it with things like my crumpled letter campaign campaign, which is just crumpledletter.com If people want to download the free version of it and, it, you know, giving that to somebody gives them an experience and it tells it like it is. You don't like salespeople. So I crumpled this up so that you can throw it away easier. And then there's, you know, there's a whole cadence to that too, that we sell on top of it, which, you know, maybe they didn't write back from that first one because they don't believe that you are who you are. You know, you can hit mm. them with another and hit them with another and hit them. It's, it is something, it's a lost art. We need to get back to the art of sales and get away from the science. I love it, dude. Fantastic. And last question I ask everybody that comes on the Lunch Break podcast, Dale, what's your favorite place to eat lunch? I love Black Rooster Taqueria here in Orlando. I would go to say that anybody listening, and I don't care if you're from the West Coast, you know, especially if you're in that San Diego area, because up until having this taqueria, that was probably my favorite place to get a taco outside of the Texas. Yeah, that's the um, Mecca, you know. For yeah, most it people. is, right? But I'll, this place will whoop your butt. Um, on taste and authenticity. It's pretty amazing. And they, they put a little twist on things, you know, they Americanize it, quote unquote, so to say, but in a very respectful way, because the, the chef comes from a background of living uh, in, in those countries and cooking with those people. So it's a freaking great place to eat. Black Rooster Taqueria, come to Orlando. I'll, I'll buy you a taco. You heard it here first. Uh, Dale, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How can people find you, connect with you um, if they weren't already aware of you before this thing? Yeah, it, the easiest way is to go to Google and type in Dale Dupree. There's nothing that comes up that's not me, whether it's YouTube channels, uh, whether it's podcast interviews like this one. You can head to salesrebellion.com as well too. Uh, we do have a podcast called Selling Local. If you want to check it out, you can find it through the website or any of your favorite major podcast platforms, linkedin.com backslash IN backslash Copier Warrior to see my daily content feed. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, freaking in, uh, Facebook, all at Sales Rebellion. And, and I'm even on Snapchat. Try to find me on Snapchat, y'all. I dare you. Boom. That's it. I love it, man. Thank you so much. And with that, I'm going to wrap up episode 80 of the Lunch Break Podcast. Speak to you guys soon.